Good morning. I'm Mark. Uh, it felt a bit awkward. Prayer is one of those things that I feel as people of God can do it with anybody, but sometimes it feels like a ring before a date kind of thing. Uh, this is my second time being with you. It's really great to be here. Uh, this is just my own forgetfulness, but I forgot what a wonderfully welcoming congregation you are. Um, I go to a lot of different places, and there are some things that are noteworthy, and I want you to know that. Uh, I'm a friend of Dan's. We've known each other since college, and so uh, this is always a fun thing for me to come and be here in his stead. Um, well, the men are off. There's more men here than I anticipated, so I, I'm, I'm going to be making mental notes of removing all of my jokes that were... <laughs> That just, that was me and the women this morning. Uh, so, uh, we are, we're talking a little bit about expectations. We're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. Um, expectations are powerful. They're powerful things in lots of places. They're powerful in our faith. Uh, they're powerful in our personal lives. Just the other day, I was trying to build some raised garden beds in my backyard. My wife and I had, we had looked at a lot of raised garden bed options. There's a lot, apparently. Uh, and decided what would make sense for our backyard, yada, yada. What, would, what budget did we want? All of the questions that you ask. We made our decision. We said, after agonizing over it, this is the one. Off to the lumber store I went. And then I realized there were all these wood options that, uh, that I did not notice in our planning. And I had all these ideas and I got something totally different than what we had agreed on. I came home, elated, walked in the door, said, guess what I did? Look at this wood. I got, I got new plans. I've changed everything. Uh, she did not share my enthusiasm. Her first question was, well, what does it cost? <laughs> uh, which is a fair question, to which I replied, it's, it was a little more. Uh, and when she saw the receipt, that she recognized that that meant it was double the cost. Uh, I still, being fairly dense, was just excited and went to work. Later, we had a discussion about this. Uh, after, after our disagreement about the whole thing, uh, finally we got to the heart of it and it was like, why, why weren't you excited about these garden beds? These are awesome. And, and finally she said this. She said, you know, it's not, it's not the design. The design's great. And it's not the money because it's fine. It's just that I was expecting you to come home with something totally different. We had agreed on this very particular thing and you got something totally different and that was it and and here we were failing to to connect disagreeing maybe you've been there this is where insert joke about all of the men that were supposed to be gone <laughs> uh you know Right, we, because expectations are powerful, right? Like, the garden bed now is fine. We can all enjoy it and yada, yada, and it's funny because it was an issue and I 
and I just should have thought more about it, but, uh, but these expectations, and it happens in so many areas of our lives. We do, it with, we do it with all kinds of things. You know, plans get canceled, and we were looking forward to it, and then it doesn't happen, and it's like, whew, it's just this weight that nothing's changed. We're still the same. There's, we weren't unhappy a minute ago, but now we're unhappy because it's gone, right? The thing that we wanted, um, it can even change the way we, like, look at something, uh, maybe you've been in this kind of place, maybe at work or something, maybe it's a promotion or a raise or something else that you thought was coming and all the signs indicated it's coming and you sort of build this up. You think something good is coming and then it doesn't, right? A lot of us have been in that place, even in a workplace. If you're me, it's kind of like everything was good, everything's great, I love where I'm at. Oh, this thing I... I wanted, I expected, now it's not there. I don't know if I like it here anymore. Do you know what I, I mean, have you been there? Like it changes the way we see it. Like, we're still the same, still like it, but that expectation changed it. Somehow, it's just not the same anymore. Uh, but it's not just silly stuff or job stuff, it's, it's faith, right? Like when we approach God, the way, what we expect out of God changes the way we interact with God. What we expect in this place, when you come to church, the community that you worship with and you spend time with, right, you have expectations. There's certain things that changes the way that we interact. So that's, that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. I want to open up the book of Jonah and, and read it. If you've found it already, if you're looking for it, it's a tiny little book just before you get to the New Testament. Um, you'll find it somewhere in those minor prophets. It's towards the beginning if you're flipping near Obadiah. <clears throat> probably many of you are very familiar with the book of Jonah. So probably this will not be super surprising. So we're going to read most of the first chapter, pretty much all of it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, the great city, cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. When the, mountains were, when the mariners were afraid, each cried to his God. They threw their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. The captain came to him, to Jonah, and said, What are you doing asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? From where do you come? What is your country? Of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
And the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? The sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon us. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land. They could not. For the sea grew more and more stormy against them. They cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done, have done as it pleased you, So, they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. Sorry, I'm getting confused with waters down here. Uh, Jonah, who's this prophet? This familiar story. Jonah gets called by God. Probably not an unusual thing. He's a prophet. Uh, But he gets called to something incredibly unusual. Jonah is called to go to this place called Nineveh. We know the names, familiar with the story. Jonah, go to Nineveh, proclaim against the city. Nineveh, though, This is helpful to know. Nineveh is not a friendly place to Jonah. Jonah, we know, is an Israelite. He's one of God's people from a different land. Nineveh being one of their enemies is not a friendly place to go. Certainly not a friendly place to go and proclaim any sort of judgment, if even just a friendly place to go in general. This is what God says. Get up, go to Nineveh. Well, I mean, as if that's not bad enough, this is, this is highly unusual. In fact, that, that doesn't actually capture what it is. This is unprecedented. This just doesn't happen. Jonah is told by God, Jonah, career prophet, get up, go to Nineveh, proclaim this message against them. We find out later that the message is God's going to destroy your city. Not, not a great thing to go do. Jonah is the only prophet who has ever been asked to go to a foreign land and to proclaim judgment against it from God. Prophets are typically asked to go proclaim hard things. Prophets say a lot of hard things to the people. It's always in the context of their own people, right? Which makes sense. Jonah is the only prophet who's told to go somewhere else, somewhere really, really bad and go and tell them that God's going to destroy their land. Not only is this incredibly unappealing, but you have to think of it from Jonah's perspective. I didn't sign up for this, right? This is not what prophets do. I know what prophets do. I'm a prophet. I don't do that. We don't go to to foreign cities with foreign gods that hate us and tell them that they're going to be destroyed. That's not 
That's not a prophet's job. And here's God. This is what I want you to do. And here's Jonah. Well, I don't think so, right? We all know the story. He gets out of town and he takes off. And, and he runs the other direction. And at first, we're not told why. We can sort of deduce from the first couple of things, well, yeah, that would be scary. I don't want to do it. This isn't what prophets ask. This is totally unexpected, God. I don't, I don't want to do it. Except at the end of the book, Jonah explains to us why he did it. And he's having a conversation with God in chapter 4. Uh, and they're, they're sort of arguing about the whole thing after it's over. And Jonah's reasoning is fascinating. This is what Jonah says. God is, uh, has done, everything's over. The, the city wasn't destroyed. God rescued them. Everything should be happy. And this is what Jonah says to God. Oh, Lord, is it not, is this not what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you were a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah's furious because God's merciful. Here's Jonah. God, I knew you were, you were gracious and merciful. And, right? God knows, Jonah knows God very well. And he says, I knew it. I had to go proclaim this message. And then you got all soft. And you didn't do it, right? And it's not that Jonah's bloodthirsty and just wanted the city destroyed. Before this, Jonah didn't care. But what did Jonah care about? As a prophet, asked to do this crazy thing and proclaim this message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the message that we find out he's supposed to tell the people. And he's nervous when he gets the message that God's not going to do it. Why would he be nervous? Well, because if you're a prophet and the thing that you say doesn't come true, what does that make you? A false prophet, right? And it's Deuteronomy 18 lays it out for us. How do you know a prophet? A prophet comes into your land. Here's how you know. Here's one of the points. If whatever they say doesn't come true, they're a false prophet. Here's Jonah. This is his whole life. He's a career prophet, asked to go do this crazy thing that's going to make him give up his entire livelihood, his life as he knows it. He'll never be able to even go back to his own land because he's going to be hated in his own land. God is asking him to give up nothing short of everything. And Jonah, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to give up everything, right? God, this is not what I signed up for when I became a prophet. He's the only prophet that's asked to do anything like this. And yet he's being asked. That's the power of expectation, right? Jonah had this idea of what, what it's like to be a prophet. He'd been doing it probably for a long time. And this wasn't it. And that's, that's the power when we have that, that picture in our mind. This is how it is. This is how God works. And when God chooses to do something outside of that, how many of us turn into Jonah? Uh, well, I don't know if you act like that all the time. <laughs> 
uh, God, you're probably, not, you're probably not asking me to do that weird thing, right? But maybe he is. If we go back to the beginning, as we go on in the story, Jonah gets on the boat, runs away, starts trying to get away. And then, of course, what happens? A big storm erupts. The, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw cargo off the ship to lighten the load. So this storm comes up, but we're told this reading it. The very first words are this. The Lord hurled a great wind. Right? We, we know God did this. It's not coincidence that, that God somehow sent the storm because he's trying to get Jonah's attention, right? Except whose attention does he get? The sailors, right? These sailors, these, we find out they're pagan sailors. They all had their own gods. They don't even know Jonah's god. They don't, they're not into that. These pagan sailors, they recognize this storm is something different. Seasoned sailors, right? How many times have they been on a boat? They're afraid. They're so afraid. They don't know what to do, so they pray. And what do they pray? Each one cries out to his own God. They all have their own gods. And so they begin to pray. Somehow, these sailors recognize that this storm was different. This storm somehow involves some sort of divine action in the world. They were the ones who picked up on God doing something. And they knew that somehow in that moment, the only response is, gotta pray. If the storm is from a God, then the only way to do anything about the storm is to pray. And so they do. Notice who's not praying. Yeah, Jonah. In fact, what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship, had lain down, was fast asleep. I mean, this is very revealing how somebody could be in the midst of a storm where the seasoned sailors are so afraid that they're freaking out, they're throwing things off the side of the boat, and they're praying, and meanwhile, Jonah's asleep. So it's very telling into where he's at anyway. And then something strange happens. The captain of the ship, he sees this. He comes down and he, he approaches Jonah. The captain came to him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up, call on your God. Perhaps he will spare us a thought that we do not perish. The captain of the ship comes down to wake up Jonah to tell him to pray. A prophet's job is to help people see God in the world, to help people see his action in the world, to call people to do things on his behalf, to call them to prayer. And here's these pagan sailors. They don't know anything about God. They, they have other gods. They would be, in the story, the, the bad people that God hates, right? Here they are, telling the prophet, Get up, pray, 
Don't you see what's happening? These sailors are pointing Jonah to the very God that Jonah is supposed to be pointing everyone else to, right? So, story goes on. Sailors said to one another, apparently nothing's happening. We don't even know if Jonah prays. This is also an interesting thing. They say, get up, pray. There's no word about if he does. So they say, okay, well, let's cast lots. Like, let's draw straws, right? God will, God will fix the one to the right person. These sailors, they recognize the storms from God. They recognize that prayer is the only way into it. And then they somehow recognize, you know what, not only is this like some sort of divine storm that's come against us, it's apparently attached to somebody. They're so theologically astute that they recognize that this storm is attached to a person on the boat and they need to figure out who. And so they tell Jonah, hey, we're going to cast lots and find out who it is. Of course, the lot falls on Jonah, naturally. And then they have a number of questions for Jonah. Right? What do they say? Tell, <laughs> tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where are you from? What country are you? What are your, who are your people? What's your story? Why in the world is this happening? And here's what Jonah says. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the sailors freak out. I want us to look through the sailors' eyes for a minute. We know this. We know they're, they're pagan people. They have lots of gods, whatever. They, they live in a world thousands of years ago where it was very different anyway, and they, they have this very different picture of how gods work. Think about this through these, these poor sailors' eyes. In their mind, in their world, gods, there are many gods, and these gods are all fairly local and or only do some very particular things. Think about it this way. If there was a God of Marysville and you didn't like the God of Marysville, you just pick up and go to Everett. Right? And maybe now you're out of that God's jurisdiction. Because gods were localized. They were gods. You could get away from a God. Right? If, if a god is, is set in one place, you just go to another place. If this god only does this one thing, you just do something else. Right? That's, that's kind of how that world was built. And so here's Jonah. Oh, I'm running away from God. In fact, it tells us this. This is really interesting uh, in verse 10. The men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Apparently when Jonah got on the ship or whatever, at some point, he had already told the sailors that he was running from a god, and they didn't seem to think anything of it, right? Because why not? Yeah, okay, whatever. You want to get away from that pesky god? Go ahead, right? Because that, that works in that world. And then here's Jonah. Oh, by the way, yeah, that god? Oh, that's the god of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. This is Jonah's way of saying, yeah, oh, it's the god who made everything. It's the God who's over everything. It's the God beyond all of these other gods. This is like the one God, the one that, that's the big over the whole world God. And the sailors freak out. We know this. We read the Psalms. We know things like, from where, O oh Lord, can I go? Where, where can I go to get out of your presence, right? And we know the answer. We can't. 
Jonah, the prophet, this, this thought seemed to have escaped him. And the sailors pick up on it like that, right? This is how theologically quick they are. Wait a second, you can't get away from that God. That's why this mess is, is happening. So they say, what do we do? What shall we do to you? The sea may quiet down for us. For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up. Throw me into the sea. And it will quiet down for you. Which is essentially Jonah saying, just kill me. Right? Here's a, here's a storm. Certainly not going to survive. You're out in the sea. Just get rid of me. Everything will be fine. And up until this point, the sailors ha- have been really quick to pick up on what God's doing, to try and please this God, to pray, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, they, they find out, well, okay, what do we need to do? And Jonah's like, kill me. These sailors do this. Nevertheless, the men rode towards the land. I don't know if we have any other fellow boaters in here. The last place you want to be in a storm is on shore, right? The rocks, the docks, the anything. If this storm is big, I I mean, when the water gets choppy, I don't even want my boat near shore because I know it's going to damage it, right? You're talking this huge storm. You're afraid for your life it's so big. You do not want to be near shore. This is essentially a death sentence for them. And yet they do it. And we find out that not only are these sailors unbelievably attuned to to God's action in the world, they're incredibly compassionate. They're trying to get Jonah to the land, right? They're rowing to land to get Jonah off so they don't have to throw him into the sea and let him die that they'd rather risk their own lives than to get rid of this one guy who they don't know who means nothing to them. It's pretty incredible. And? But before they do it, before they finally say, okay, fine, Jonah, we're going to throw you overboard, they cried out to the Lord, please, O Lord, we pray. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They pause, and they pray, and now they're praying to Jonah's God. Their prayers have changed. They're now praying to the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, right? And they're saying, hey, God, look, we've tried. We've tried everything. We're going to do this. Just don't hold us accountable, right? They're kind of covering their own, <laughs> their own selves here. Jonah's still not praying. Jonah just says, just kill me. It doesn't say turn the boat around. Surely there must have been other options for Jonah, right? Turn the boat around. Take me back. I'll go to Nineveh. That's another possible answer. What's Jonah's answer? Just kill me. 
That didn't have to be his answer. That just was his answer, right? But these pagan sailors, these sailors, sort of a footnote in the text, they just happen to be there. It's the boat that Jonah uses. They've never heard of this God. And yet, they seem to see every time he does something. In fact, they, they were worshiping these other gods up until they met the one God. They end up leading Jonah in the way that he needs to act. They listen. They do all the right things. They never skip a beat. They're compassionate. They're faithful. And this is the interesting thing. In the story, we find God in them. Not in Jonah, the prophet. In fact, Jonah finds God through them. It's because of these crazy pagan sailors that Jonah is being led back to God. And it's in them that we find God in the story, where we find faithfulness in the story. It's not the prophet. Where are we looking for God? Where do you look for God? Where do you typically set your eyes or your ears to find him? Because if we're always going to the same place and always expecting the same thing, maybe sometimes we're not leaving room for the things that God is trying to say through the pagan sailors in our lives. If we went to the story looking to Jonah, we're not going to find much. In fact, if you continue to read on in the book of Jonah, I don't know what picture you have of Jonah. Jonah is not the prophet who at first didn't do something right and then comes around and then is fine. He eventually goes to Nineveh and he eventually says the thing he's supposed to say. And then he gets mad at God, tells him how horrible he thinks the whole plan was, God says, are you sure you want to be mad? And Jonah says, yes, mad enough to die. And he sits out in the desert, and the story ends with him sitting there saying he's going to sit there until he dies. That is the story of Jonah. It is not the prophet who comes around. It's not the prophet who gets on God's side. He's mad the entire time, and he ends an incredibly uh, bad character. This is not the example if, if we're looking to the prophet, we're getting the wrong example. But that's normally where we would look, isn't it? Where are we looking? And are we missing things? Because we've honed in too closely that, that maybe our expectations have told us God does things this particular way. God says these particular things. God acts in this particular way. And we build them over time because we found them to be true, right? That's how we build expectation. We learn it to be true and we expect it to happen that way. And if we're not careful, our expectations become the only way that we can hear. The only way that God can act. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this language. When we talk about listening for God, there's, there's often this language of like a still small voice something like a whisper. 
that's somewhat familiar. That's not uncommon to talk about how God speaks. You know what's interesting about that idea? Is it comes out of the book of 1 Kings, right in the middle around chapter 19. There's a story about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah finds out, God says, hey, I'm about to pass by, like I'm about to come see you. And Elijah goes out and he's waiting and he's looking for God. And it says this, there was a wind. God wasn't in the wind. There was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then there was an earthquake and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the sound of sheer silence, something like a whisper. And God showed up. And that's where Elijah hears the voice of God is in this sort of whispery silence. Here's the thing. That was, that was not the norm. Elijah was looking for God in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. The story goes to great length to point out to us that those things happened and God didn't speak in them. Because up until that point in scripture, God had always spoken through the fire and the wind and the big things, right? Go up to the mountain. Where did Moses find God? In the fire. Where did they find him in the desert? In the cloud, right? In these big, crazy things. And then all of a sudden, God just changes it up. This has never happened before. But Elijah was ready to listen, and he hears it in this whisper, something like this silent whisper, right? And now it's sort of become our norm. And now that has now become the expectation. But that's, 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 not, that's not what it was. It was quite the opposite, right? And has our expectation hindered us to say, this is how it works. I know how it works. This is how God does it. Or we say, Maybe we think we hear something and then we say, ah, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't feel like God. And we pause. Expectations have power. They have power to change our reality and the things that we see and experience and the things that God does and the things we experience in him. And if we don't challenge them, if we don't recognize them, if we don't pause and say, how have I limited how have I set expectations in a particular way? We might not see the pagan sailors in our own lives. And maybe it is actually people and we have certain expectations of certain people because who are the pagan sailors in our lives? Right? We, we, here we live in this like really tough time politically. It's like, oh, you disagree with me. I'm not going to listen to you. Maybe those are your pagan sailors. Right? Maybe we've come to expect that certain things are going to come from certain people with certain belief systems, so I'm not going to listen to them. And maybe God's like, hey, th these, are those, these are those pagan sailors for you. I need you to listen. I need you to hear. Because you know what? God, God can speak through anyone. Even these crazy sailors. Right? Maybe we have these ideas of people in the community and, oh, there's people in, the, in that neighborhood and and you have these ideas, oh, homeless folks, they, they all have this kind of history and, you know, make these assumptions and then we sort of start to expect certain things as a result of what we think is their story or whatever. Oh, they dress a certain way. Oh, look at the tattoos all over them. I bet they're like this, you know, whatever. Who are those pagan sailors to us? And would we ever allow them to 
to do what they did for Jonah? Can they lead us? Can they be God's voice to us? Can they bring the spirit to us? Are we gonna dare to listen if they do? But it can happen if we let, if we let expectations of how we think God works, how we think he speaks, define our reality and we just narrow it down more and more. Meanwhile, God's out here going, I've got all this stuff to say. I've got all this stuff to show you. But you're gonna have to listen to some pagan sailors for to get through. And if we could find them in the story, if we found God through the sailors in the story, what kinds of things might he be trying to say to us, to you, if we dare to listen? The tough thing is, he might ask us to do things like he asked Jonah to do. And that doesn't sound super exciting to me, probably not to you. I don't want to be like the one preacher who got asked to go do, the, like, go down in history as, oh, there's the one pastor who I asked to do this one thing I don't normally ask pastors to do. Like, I don't want to be that guy. But would I dare to be if God asked? I don't know. It might be hard but it might be fantastic. Let's pray.